So tonight we're thinking about the essentials of women's ministry, following on very much on what we are thinking about this morning. And we're thinking about how women's ministry has quite a number of aspects within our church, some of it informal and not seen. And sometimes as a minister, one of the most lovely things is when I hear of work done by men and women, which nobody else knows about, but the Lord knows about, just quiet work helping people. Uh, that is one of the most beautiful things when you discover some of these things. But other aspects, there are more public aspects, which includes we think about parents and toddlers, the girls' brigade, the PW, the women's prayer meeting, and the women's midweek. Um, I'm thinking particularly of areas where women are particularly ministering to women. But tonight, as we look at these essentials, we're looking at what should be covered as a whole within women's ministry within our church. It doesn't mean that every organization and every meeting will cover it all. Uh, probably most organizations will touch on some of what we're looking at tonight, and for some organizations, some may dominate more than others. But there are a number of principles or some essentials we're going to look at tonight, seven things we're going to look at, hopefully, to just to focus on what needs to be in our women's ministry. And as I said this morning, what we're thinking about tonight it's probably true for nearly every organization. I probably would have done men's ministry first and covered a lot of these things, but because just the way the fall of things for midweeks, I've done the women's ministry. So this could have been equally for men in many senses. The first thing that's important is intention. It's crucial that those who are leading a ministry have a clear focus about what their goal is. In 1995, there was a book written by a man called Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Church. And that was a book which had a tremendous impact on the wider church. Now, some of Rick Warren's uh, theology has a lot of weaknesses in it. But one of the good things that that book did cause was to cause people to sit back and to think about what they are doing. And not just doing something because it has always been done. And in what we seek to do as a church, we do it with a purpose, with a real intention. And at the end of Titus chapter 2, we see what is the goal of women's ministry and indeed all ministry. It has to be, you look in verses 11 to 14 of Titus 2, it has to be godliness in the lives of people in preparation for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a tremendous purpose to be working towards, whether it's to our children, our women, our men, whoever, that we have to understand that what we're doing is preparing people for when Jesus will come again, preparing people that they will have faith in Christ, preparing people that they will be godly on that day when Jesus comes again. Susan Hunt says of godly women involved in women's ministry, she says, their approach to women's ministry is not consumer-oriented. We deserve a ministry that focuses on us. That's not to be the thinking. But kingdom-oriented. How can we invest in women in a way that equips them as disciples for their own spiritual maturation, for the good of the marriages and families of the church, and for the betterment of the total ministry of the church, and for their life in the world. So it's not about just, as it were, meeting felt needs of women. It's about the kingdom. 
seeing the advance of Christ's kingdom among our people. We must always be kingdom-orientated. Ligon Duncan says that women's ministry is needed for, summarize it in four points. First of all, to cultivate godly feminine Christian women, promote healthy Christian marriages, cultivate among women a joyous embrace of godly, healthy Christian male spiritual leadership, and help Christian women to appreciate and be equipped for the manifold areas of ministry open to them in the church. Cultivate godly women, promote healthy Christian marriages, cultivate a proper respect for the male leadership, and help women appreciate and be equipped for the many areas of ministry. That is, should be our intention. That should be our intention in women's ministry. Then secondly, the second thing that was important is integration, being integrated into the rest of the life of the church. And Ligon Duncan again, he says, a biblical understanding of the church acknowledges that no part stands alone. A women's ministry is one component of the total life and work of a local church. And remember, Paul in Titus 2, when he speaks about this ministry of women to women, it's in the middle of a letter that he's writing to Titus, who's on the island of Crete, to, to sort out the life of the church there in Crete. And so it's in the context of church life that Paul is speaking about women teaching women. Women's ministry, like every other ministry, needs to be under the authority and guidance of the church leadership. Many women involved in women's ministry speak of the challenge or the disconnect with church leaders. If you go onto the, the Gospel Coalition website, there's some great discussions among women who are involved in women's ministry. And there's one woman said about her pastor that he just wasn't interested in women's ministry. He wanted her to just get on with it. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to be involved in it. He didn't want to guide it. He just wanted to leave her to it. So she baked him cookies to get on his good side so he would listen to her and fulfill his responsibility. Women's ministry should be connected to the leadership and the priorities that the leadership of a church emphasizes. It would fit in with the theology, the ethos, and the priorities of the church. It should never seek to stand alone, but seek to support and complement the other ministries of the church. And that's true in every organization. It's weird to think about how do, I, how do we as an organization fit into the whole ministry of the church? What is unique about us? What is common with other things? What's our role within the whole wider church? Ligon Duncan again says, covenant consciousness, the fact that we are a covenant community committed to each other, covenant consciousness will protect us from the sin of being territorial about the portion of ministry entrusted to us. Covenant consciousness will cause us to think about the common good rather than individual preference. So, it's always in the wider context, we minister within our organization for the what is the common good of the church, its witness, its life, its maturity in these days. So, we have had 
we've seen intention, we've seen integration, and then thirdly, we have Scripture. Susan Hunt, again, who's very involved in women's ministry for many years, she says, the Bible should be the centerpiece of women's ministry. It should form the infrastructure of everything the women's ministry does. And so, one of the main things we should do in women's ministry is teaching the Bible. One of the main things we should do when planning women's ministry should be, what does the Bible say we should be doing? Gloria Furman and Kathleen Nielsen, in their book, I think it's Biblical Women's Ministry, says, ever since Eve, it has been our common, it's been our human tendency to distance ourselves from God's Word. No ministry in the church is exempt from the temptation to focus more on human desires and needs than on God's provision in His revelation of Himself to us. Women's ministry in particular can so easily be all about women rather than being all about women together hearing and following God's voice revealed in His Word. So the thing that should guide is not what women want or not what women desire or even what women need. It's the Word of God should guide it. Women's ministry, therefore, must be serious about studying the Bible deeply and widely. Otherwise, it will be out of step of what the church is about. Remember in the Great Commission what Jesus told the disciples? To go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so, part of that Great Commission, we have to be serious about teaching all that Jesus has commanded to women. And remember Acts 2, the early church, what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' doctrine, along with fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. And so, if the Word of God and the study of God's Word is not central to women's ministry, it's out of step of what the church is about. Jan Oshman is someone who has been involved in women's ministry in Japan, in the Czech Republic, and now in America. She uses this wee diagram or wee illustration about it, and think of a, a path, the women's ministry path as being in the middle. And she says the danger is on one hand, you could fall down one side with a lack of substance, a lack of biblical substance in what you're doing. On the other side, there can be an overcautiousness, sort of a, a fear that we're going to be sound in anything we do that can paralyze us. We have to go down the middle of the path of having a freedom in studying God's Word and a joy in studying God's Word and letting God's Word loose among us. Jan Oshman, she has written a book called Enough About Me, and the cover of the wee book has me, 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 me all the way through it. And it's a book very much written to women. And she's, one of the reasons why she says this teaching of God's Word has to be a priority in women's ministry is that women are so burdened and so weighed down with expectation, often from themselves. And they try harder, they try harder, they try harder, and just get wearier, wearier, and wearier. And what's the answer? The answer is John 15, to abide in Christ. And do you remember what Jesus says? When will we abide in Christ? When His Word abides in us. 
And when God's Word is opened up to women by women, Christ is the one who will come to give people rest, enable people to abide in Him. There's something wrong when we want to be busy in our programs with so many things, but have little time for serious Bible teaching. Susan Hunt says this, Christ must be the reference point. Unless a woman's ministry is an overflow of the gospel, women will become hinderers and not helpers in God's church. Those who plan for and implement a women's ministry must be intentional in maintaining a a gospel orientation in their hearts and lives. It's the power of the Word. It's the power of the gospel let loose in our hearts that equips us and prepares us for the Lord's work. The Scripture must be at the very heart of it. And remember this, how the the Bible is described. It's described as the, the sword of the Spirit. It's one of our greatest weapons in this world of evil. Why would we keep that weapon sheathed? The fourth thing of a women's ministry it has to be about is discipleship. We ought, and this is a quote from Ligon Duncan again, he says, we ought to have an intentional, deliberate approach to female discipleship because men and women are different. And these differences need to be recognized, taken into account, and addressed in the course of Christian discipleship. He is emphasizing this. Women are different from men, and there are times particularly when women have to be involved in seeking to disciple women. That's an important part of this ministry. There has to be a clear goal. There has to be a plan in seeing women going on with Christ, in going deeper with Christ through the study of His truth. We're students. We're here to develop and to grow. This means teaching that expands women's vision, that challenges women's sin, that gives clear instruction about how we live for Christ in the environment that women find themselves in. This teaching for discipleship will be theological. It'll teach about God, about Christ. It will be practical, how we live it out. Susan Hunt, who's quoted several times, she speaks about a a friend of hers who went to a a different church. She went, I think she came from a church which had a very strong and good women's ministry, and she went to a different church. And this is what her friend says, the church is great and the women's ministry is active. But the more I get to know the women, the more I realize that they think like feminists. There is a disconnect between their belief in Scripture and their application of Scripture to their lives as women. How can this be? And so there was a women's ministry which wasn't really dealing with the issue of what the Bible teaches about who women are and how women should live out as women for Christ. Discipleship is crucial. The fifth thing that is crucial in women's ministry is fellowship. And I think this is something for us men we have to be aware of, that women generally need more interaction with each other than men. Uh, That's something we have to remember. That's why 
women have to go to the toilet in twos, they have to do it and thing. And generally speaking, women do need more interaction than men. When couples are coming to get married and they do a session on communication, one of the things they say, like, two men can be on a boat fishing. And after an hour, one man says to the other man, nice day, isn't it? The other boy goes, yep. For men, that's communication. Uh, for women, that would drive you crazy. Uh, that's her situation. So we have to understand that there, for women, there is a greater need for this connection. But we have to be aware, though, what fellowship is, because it's not just about having connection. The word fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, it's often misused and devalued in the church today. Anything that involves personal contact and conversation is seen as fellowship. But that is not necessarily true fellowship. I could have a great yarn to my friends about the football and have a really good time in talking about it and feel really good about it. Maybe not if I talk about Man United too much, but anyway, it's been a good weekend. But that's not fellowship. Just having a nice chat is not Christian fellowship. That word koinonia, the word fellowship, it comes from the word common. And Christian fellowship is when we engage in what we have in common. In the Bible, fellowship is about partnership. It's about partnership in, in Christ and partnership in the gospel. Fellowship is about what we share in common as Christians. Philippians 3 and 10, Paul talks about wanting to experience the fellowship of Christ's suffering, of Christ's resurrection. Fellowship is experiencing Christ together. It's something very deep. Now, let me emphasize, there is a time we need to eat chats over the cup of tea, and there is time to chat about this, that, and the other thing. But when the Bible talks about fellowship, it's talking about something deeper. 1 John 1 and verse 3, I think, is very helpful in this. This is what John says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He's speaking there about Jesus. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you notice how fellowship comes about? It's through John sharing the message of Christ. Fellowship, this oneness, this commonness, is through being united in the gospel of Jesus. Praying together, discussing the truth of God's Word together to encourage each other, that is the very heart of what fellowship is. That's sharing what we have in common. And we have to realize this is something unique in the church. There's other things that we might do in the church. There's other things that we can do which the world can do and sometimes maybe do better. But what the world cannot give to our women or our men or our children, they cannot give Christ. They cannot give Christian fellowship, this spirit, this union of being one in Jesus. I remember the first time I went on a, a Presbyterian outreach team. I was 16. I was down in Kilkeel uh, leading, or not part of a team. 
uh, I was totally out of my depth. I was frightened. I was terrified. I was doing things I'd never done before as a young Christian. But when we were tested, just the, the praying together really helped your prayer life when you're going to knock doors around a caravan site, something you'd never done in your life before. When we prayed together, you know, it was wonderful. And you see, when that team finished and I came home, it was like a bereavement because I had experienced fellowship in a way I'd never experienced before, and now I was away from it. It's this oneness in Christ together. That is the fellowship, that sharing together what we have in common. The sixth thing that should be a part of women's ministry is caring. Women have a, a particular caring and nurturing role within the church. And when in action, this is a, a powerful aspect of the witness of the church. Why was it that at the cross, with the exception of John, the only, one, the only people who were still there were the women? Why was it at the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, it was the women who were going there and not the disciples? Well, I believe that those women were driven by such caring hearts, and they had caring hearts in a way that the, the men didn't have. It was, in a, it was different from the men. And I think part of those caring hearts that Easter Sunday morning was they saw a need that the men didn't see. I don't know about you men, but I wouldn't have thought on Easter Sunday morning to go and to anoint somebody's dead body as being particularly important. I've never have thought of that. But these women saw it as important, and it moved them to act. Susan Hunt says this, the touchstone of a women's ministry is whether women are quietly anointing the body of Christ with covenantal compassion, and then moving out into their neighborhoods and communities with that same loving care. Women's ministry meetings should not be about having a a nice, comfortable meeting in our group. Ministry meetings should be about being inspired, being challenged, being equipped so that we then act. We show care, love, and compassion. Ministry meetings, whether it's for women or for men, should not be like going to a concert. It should more like, be like going to a gym, a spiritual gym, for a spiritual workout, being trained and equipped to serve. In the church, many women are particularly gifted to help and to support young women, single women, single mothers, other young mothers, the lonely, the elderly, the sick, the bereaved, to help and support wives who have unsaved husbands, and the list could go on. And many women have particular ability and hearts to go beyond their local situation to, to meet needs much wider afield in the mission field also. Caring mercy ministries should be an important part of women's ministries. It shouldn't be all about bringing women together so they will just receive. You bring women together that they will receive so that they will then give an act. You're training a team, a team 
for action. And then the final thing about women's ministry is evangelism. Remember the woman at the well. How long had she learned about Jesus? You would count it in minutes, not hours, not days, not weeks, not years. It was a matter of minutes she learned about Jesus. And yet she ran into her village and to talk with this man who knew all about her. And you read in John 4 about all the people in the village coming out to meet this Jesus that she spoke about. And women are often the best people, particularly to reach other women with the message of the gospel. In every aspect of women's ministry, there must be this intentional desire to do the work of an evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he talks about his ministry, but he says, do the work of an evangelist. It should always be our desire. It should always be in our mind that women need Christ. Women need to be saved. In women's ministry, as in every church ministry, the temptation is to be comfortable with our own group, with our own little setting, and not be concerned about those who are outside. And that temptation needs to be guarded against. I know of a, a church which a number of years ago had a young women's group. And in its early days, it was a very vibrant, spiritual young women's group. And it was used by God to see many young women come to Christ and salvation. But as time went on, whether it be a change of leadership, whether it be just spiritual tiredness, that young women's group, which once was something which was so spiritual, so cutting edge, so intentional, and so active in reaching women with the gospel, became a very social and sedate group. It moved from being vibrant and evangelistic to being social and sedate. And that's the great challenge for us. It's a great challenge for any of us in ministry and service in the church, it's a great challenge for elders, it's a great challenge for me as a minister, is that we don't lose our evangelistic cutting edge. We always see there's people to be saved and have a burden for them to be reached with the gospel. So let me very quickly recap what we've looked at. Our parts of women's ministry should be intentional, there should be integration. There should be Scripture at the heart of it, discipleship, fellowship, caring, evangelism. The big challenge in any sort of ministry in the church is not finding something to do for our organization. The big challenge is not even to find something good for us to do. The big challenge is to lay aside many of the good things we could do in order to do the very best things that God has for us to do as a church. I mentioned Rick Warren and the Purpose Driven Church. I know of one church which bought into that, probably bought into it too much. But there was a Kirk session meeting one night, and they were talking about something that had been planned. 
And one of the elders just got up and said, this thing that's planned, what has that to do with our purpose as a church? And they thought about it and thought, nothing. And it was set aside. That's the challenge. There's 101 good things we can do in any ministry, including women's ministry. 101 good things. The challenge is to lay aside the good things for the very best that God wants for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for how you do give us a, such a blueprint, Father, in Scripture, and particularly, Father, in the pastoral letters about the life of the church, the, the ministry of the church, what we're about. And Father, just as we have been thinking today about women's ministry, we just pray for the women's ministry in our church. And Father, that as we think about what Your Word teaches us, we think about being intentional, about integration, about Scripture, discipleship, fellowship, caring, evangelism. Oh, Father, that we would just have a real leading from You as to the way forward and what we do. We thank You for many, many good things that have been done, not just in recent years, but for many decades, indeed centuries in this place. We just as we look to the future, just help and guide us. Father, in your will. Just bless us as we would meet on Wednesday night. The women will meet, Father, just to continue to discuss this. Just guide us, Father, into what is your best. So, Father, lead us on, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.